Here in the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> chapter 4, I want to begin reading again in verse 11 down through verse 16 as we really wrap up, not finish, but we wrap up this glorious truth of what God is doing in the church, His intentions on the fulfillment of the mystery of His will in us as a corporate body. Ephesians 4, verse 11. <clears throat> and He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry or service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And you'll probably notice here that in verse 15, we are to be speaking the truth in what? In love, and he closes out in verse 16, of the body for the building up of itself in what? In love. And so you have this purpose here of this operation of the Spirit of God in each member of that body towards one another. And our Lord does this because He is seeking and will accomplish the mystery of His will. The summing up of all things in Christ has begun in the disciples in local New Testament expressions of the body of Christ, that is, the church. And that God has gifted men to come, the men themselves are gifts, in order to prepare gifted saints. So it's just not me that is a gift, each member that is in his body has been gifted, so that we might be prepared unto the work of serving, ministering one to another. What I mean by that? Well, I mean this, the building up of the church, the body of Christ, by the word of His grace, until we all, no exceptions, until we all attain full maturity. Would you call that a big job? That is a big job. Folks, maturity is the aim of local New Testament assemblies that are properly ordered by His Word. Whether it be the pastor's <clears throat> teacher, whether it be the evangelist, whether it be each individual member, 
Maturity is the aim. We are to forget the things that lie behind. We are to press on. We never get to the place as a church where we say we have arrived. And the glorious thing about this is that under the sun, you know how it works under the sun, is that children, you got babies and they grow into children, then they grow into adults, and then they get feeble, frail, and die. Not so in the body of Christ. We are changed from glory to glory, even by the very Spirit of the living God. There's no feebleness in our inner man. It is from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from one stature of His fullness to another. Both individually, this is our aim, and corporately, this is our aim. And Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom for this aim, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We are complete in Him, and now we're working out this completeness one to another. We proclaim Christ, and we tell the disciples what to avoid. We're to proclaim Christ, and we are to teach every saint what to do, so that we might be pleasing to Him. And we're to do it with all wisdom. It's not just enough to speak the truth. It has to be spoken in the right in the right manner. What kind of manner? So that we may build up one another. Folks, do you realize that you can speak the truth and tell people, tear people down? It's one thing if they respond and they tear themselves down. It's another thing if we use the truth to tear people down. We're to use the truth to build up one another. And the real danger is, is that the church of God doesn't take this as their aim. What they really do is take it as their aim to remain childish. And the result of that, as we saw last week in verse 14, is that we remain sea-tossed, unstable. We remain wind-tossed, that is, movable in what we believe and teach. And folks, there are plenty of people out there, male and female, who are playing the religious game and would love to trip you up. I found in my own personal ministry an amazing thing that almost in every case has happened that if I've had an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ, no, no man cared for their soul, and I had the opportunity to give them the gospel, and then they came to a saving knowledge, called on the name of the Lord, regenerate. Nobody cared about them, but now that they are professing Christians, usually within a week, they're asking me about charismatic gifts because someone's already approached them and told them that they need to speak in tongues and they need to do this and they need to do that. Or they're asking me questions about divorce and remarriage and all that. I mean, you get all of these difficult things. Well, really what you want to do is say, can you just suck on the baby bottle for a while? Can you just take in the milk? And as you grow, you will come to greater and greater understandings of the more difficult things. 
How did they get, how did they come to this place where they're asking you these difficult questions? Because other religious people have been trying to, quote, help them. It's an amazing thing. And thanks be to God, God Himself can keep them. If you look at the book of Romans chapter 16, and at the end of that, I misquoted it last week, but in Romans 16 and verse 17, Paul urges the Romans and the churches there to be on guard. He says, Romans 16 verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. Turn away from them. Keep your eye open. Be on guard for these people. Why are they so dangerous? Verse 18. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their, now note this, by their smooth and flattering speech, they what? They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Folks, how are they doing this? By their conversation. By their words that they give. Folks, how was Eve deceived? By words. Smooth, flattering speech. How are people led astray? Smooth, flattering speech. And folks, these people, though they may profess to know Christ, they are literally just following their own appetites. They're being moved and driven by their own desires, by their own motivations, not of the things of Christ. Are there people like that? There's a lot of people like that. Some are unlearned. Some are really, really immature. But there are men and women out there that are, as it were, scheming in deceit with clever argument on why you should not listen to what the Scripture is saying. I've given this illustration before, but there was a man, a very faithful man. He really supported my ministry. He was a a deacon. He's now with the Lord, I believe, but he was a deacon and... He stood in battles. He was battle-versed with me, battle-scarred, until one day he decided that he wanted to marry a divorced woman. Now all his Christian life, he had stood for what the Scripture has said. But now what does he want to do? He wants to marry a divorced woman. So, I find on my desk four views of divorce and remarriage. I hear from his mouth, well, Pastor, you're not the only one out there. But what was he being driven by? His own appetite. What he wanted. Not by the Scripture. And folks, that is a warning to us, even even as believers, 
that our understanding and interpretation of passages can be driven by really what we really want to do. Right? So be on guard. And Paul himself states in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that he rejected this type of ministry. He rejected walking around using his speech in clever ways to try to attract people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse 2. But have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by manifestation of what? Truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I'm not going to color the message. I'm not going to massage it. I'm going to speak the truth in love, and where it lands and where it works, it works, right? Well, what's the issue? Well, most of the time, the gospel is veiled. People don't see it. People won't receive it. And folks, what's the temptation? The temptation is to adulterate the message. To not emphasize certain things. Or to leave things out. Right? Don't do that. Folks, it is the truth that saves, not the shadow of the truth. The truth is light. Preach the truth and then let them see that truth in your life. It adds the credibility to it. And Paul's concerned about that because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he actually says in verse 3, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his what? There's the word. Paul renounced the craftiness. But beware, there's men out there who with smooth words and flattering speech. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Brethren, it's a dangerous world out there. It is a dangerous world out there. Thank God we have a good shepherd who never sleeps or slumbers. But there is a danger out there. You say, well, what is the cure? I really feel in my heart that in many, many ways I'm like a child. What is the cure? Here's the cure. Press to maturity. That's the cure. In the book of Hebrews, after he tells them they are dull of hearing, next chapter, let us press on to maturity. Make it your goal. Because folks, if you are not actively pressing on to maturity, you will probably be deceived. And a lot of people out there have been deceived, sometimes eternally deceived. 
And that brings us to verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. And what Paul is going to give to us is a contrast. That we as a church should not be sea-tossed and wind-tossed. We should not be a people shaken by our circumstances, nor should we be a people that are always running around looking for novel doctrines and novel ways to apply those doctrines. You'll see in verse 16, what's the first word? Excuse me, verse 15. The word is the word, but it's a contrast. Instead of being this way, church, be this way. Instead of following the trickery of men, instead of being like people who speak in deceit, each member of this local New Testament body should be speaking the truth in love to one another. This is our service to one another. Now folks, this phrase, speaking the truth in love, is an unusual phrase. If I talk about the truth, then you're you're thinking, well, truth, that's a noun, that's a body of truth. But actually, if I was going to get very, very literal here, it is this, but truthing in love. Truthing in love. It's, it's the noun truth used as a what? As a verb and as a participle. Truthing in love. We must be toward one another, truthing to each other. Now folks, truth is the bedrock of how we live and exist. You'll notice if you go over just to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, you'll see that one of the pieces of the armor stand, excuse me, verse 14, stand there firm therefore, having girded your loins with what? Truth. And he's talking to the church. Church, have your loins girded about with truth. He's going to say the same thing in chapter 4, down in verse 25, when he says, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. We are to be people of the book, people of the word. We are to be speaking truth. In other words, we are to be truthing one to another. And folks, what that means is this. That means when you're talking to your neighbor, to your lost neighbor, now please hear me, you are to be speaking to them the truth as if Christ was speaking to him. Truthing. Did Christ truth the truth? He did, didn't he? In other words, folks, you are God's message to your neighbor. They are to see Christ in you in all aspects of you. 
You don't get to truth like you want the truth. You've got to be truthing in all wisdom, in love, appropriately. Doesn't that take maturity? It does take maturity. Are you going to trip up at times? Yes. I can't tell you the number of times I've left conversations and got back and said, why did I say that? <laughs> or I thought, why didn't I say this? That's the Word of God teaching me. And folks, there's hardly a time that I walk away, whether it's in conversation with you or with someone else, that I don't walk away wondering, did I say that right? That is the mark of an adult, of a mature person. Children don't what? They don't care. They just blurt it out. Right? But we're to be truthing to our neighbor. And folks, we're to be truthing with one another. When you hold conversations with one another in this assembly, you are God's voice in that, con- in that conversation. You don't get to say what you want to say. You've got to say the what? The truth that is appropriate for that other person in that situation with wisdom so that you can build them up in the things of Christ. But folks, here's probably the place where you got to start. Are you ready? You've got to be truthing to yourself. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says this, Oh, how I hate vain thoughts. Do you hate vain thoughts that enter your mind? And I remember when I was younger, I thought I hardly ever had a vain thought. (laughs) Now I wonder if I ever have a truthful thought. Empty, fruitless, unedifying speech that is not reflective of Christ. How I hate those thoughts. Folks, this is what it means to renew your mind. And no one of us is going to be truthing to our neighbor or truthing to one another unless we're truthing to ourselves. You've got to talk to yourself. I don't recommend doing it out loud. (laughs) But you've got to talk to yourself. The psalmist talked to himself. He said, Oh my soul, why are you cast down? Hope thou in God. Do you hear him? He's talking to himself. You've got to gird up the loins of your mind and talk to yourself because we have a rebellious, sinful nature that is only speaking and wanting to deceive you into thoughts that are not true. 
We're to be truthing one to another. And folks, isn't this what 1 Peter 4.11 says? Listen to it. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And folks, none of us can claim that we never speak. We are speaking constantly. Whether it's internal or external, you are talking all the time. Folks, the content of our speech is to be truth. And it begins with these men who are gifts to a local New Testament assembly. Do you hear that? The men, evangelists, pastors, teachers, those men, if they're going to prepare the saints for the work of service, they have to be truthing it. They have to be saying as much as in them is what the text is saying. And they are to do it in love. These gifted, these men that are gifts must be wholly occupied with their speech conforming to God's speech. In other words, folks, are we as a church to be aiming for maturity? Yes. And that maturity in growing up involves the pulpit. I think many churches think, well, you're born again, you go off to Bible school, you go off to seminary, and then you got it. You're grown up, and then you're able to come to church and just give it to the saints so that hopefully they'll grow up. If the pulpit's not growing up, the congregation will not grow up. There's never a time that I say to myself, I've arrived. Because there is no such time like that until I see Him. And this is exactly what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, Occupy yourself with this, that is the doctrine, because in doing so, you will save yourself. That's saving in the sense of sanctification. You will save yourself and them who hear you, Timothy. For a church body to grow up, it involves the pulpit. And folks, the congregation in general can't grow up past the pulpit. Now that was more true years gone by before the internet and people could just pick out their great teachers that they want to follow. I remember one saint telling me one time that you know, they were members of this church and they said, well, you know, I just supplement my feeding with the Bible Broadcasting Network. That made me sad. Not anything wrong with supplement. Do you ever have snacks during the day? Okay. But the feeding ought to come when the family's together. 
But folks, it's not just these men as gifts to the church, but every believer in that church. If we as a church are just exalting in the fact that the pulpit is faithful, then the church will not mature. Because, folks, truthing from each member, and by the way, that includes me. I'm a member of the church. Truthing from each member gives the environment by which we may grow up in all aspects to Him. You know, we have this wicked thing inside of us that wants to conform to average. We want to be average. We don't want to stand out, as it were. That's why in broad Christianity, what we call nominalism, averageness, is so inviting. Young people who were striving... with their maturity to be more mature, go off to college and they leave home and they just blend in with the average. And you can tell it. You can tell it when they come home. The fire's not burning as hot because they're satisfied with where they're at. That's dangerous. Remember, if we're not actively pressing on to maturity, we're liable to be what? Deceived and led astray. Folks, each member of our church is to be in the process of being conformed into the image of Christ because He's the head of our church. And folks, this brings us to another point is that our growth is not in relationship to the pulpit. Our growth is not in relationship to one another. It's in relationship to Him. He's the standard. Can we be encouraged by one another? The answer to that is what? Yes, Yes, there's been many men both in and out of the pulpit through my pilgrimage that I have looked at and said, if I could just be mature like that, and I would kind of take them as a model in the specific area that I looked at and admired that Christ-like quality. But that person's not the standard. We are unwise if all we're doing is comparing ourselves one to another. The standard is Him. It is the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ that we are to be striving for. And folks, verse 15 of Ephesians 4 says that we're to be doing this. We're to be truthing, understood, one to another in love. In love. This doesn't mean that we walk around afraid to hurt your feelings. 
It means that we are to speak the truth in a love that looks like the love of Christ. This sacrificial love. This cruciform love. A love that looks like the love that was exhibited in the cross of Jesus Christ. And folks, can we stray from that? <clears throat> the answer to that is yes. And if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at the end of that chapter, you'll know that this was one of the faults of <clears throat> the Corinthians. They begin to use God's gifts in a self-centered, arrogant way. Like the gifts were serving themselves. And Paul, at the end of that chapter, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians says, Alright, earnestly desire the greater gifts, but I'm going to show you a still more excellent way. In other words, he's going to show us, now please follow this, the way we are to express our giftedness. This is the way that we are to express it. And so you look down at verse 13, and you specifically look at verse 13. It says, Now faith, hope, love, abide all three, all right? But what's the greatest? Love. And so he says this in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1 If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, would you agree that'd be a great gift? Have all the languages? Speak in any language you want. Didn't matter who you're talking to. That'd be a great gift, wouldn't it? But if you don't have cruciform love, you are noisy. Or if I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body be burned, but I don't have love, this cruciform love, it profits me what? Nothing. In other words, folks, he's covering the gamut here. He's covering our speech. He's covering our knowledge. He's covering our heart persuasion. He's covering our giving one to another. And he's even covering my martyrdom. The ultimate giving of all things. But if I don't do this in the more excellent way, if I don't do it in this way, cruciform love, it amounts to nothing. So what would it look like for me to express my giftedness? Well, it would look like this. It would look like that you would express the gifts of Christ patiently. You ever deal with impatience? That is an unloving action. And that's how, I, that's how I talk to myself. I don't say, well, I should be patient. I say, it's unloving. How should I express my giftedness? Well, I should express it in kindness. I should express it without pride, bragging and arrogance. I should express it, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13, in a way that is appropriate for the situation. 
If I was getting married, here's a bride who's going to get married, and they ought to have a what kind of dress? A wedding dress. But what if they show up in torn jeans? Well, are they the same person? But it's not appropriate for that situation. There's a way to speak and express our gifts that is appropriate to every situation. It's not to be self-centered or self-interest, verse 5, in the expression of our gifts. The expression of our gifts shouldn't be easily provoked if the person rejects it or rebuttals it or gets stiff-lipped about it. We don't keep a record with other people. We don't say, well... This is the 18th hundred time that you've done this. That doesn't mean you reject reality. But you're not keeping records because your goal isn't to accumulate the records. Your goal is to build them up in the faith. That's your goal. Your goal is not to prove you're right. It's to build them up in the faith. This more excellent way in the expression of our gifts doesn't rejoice in doing it in an unrighteous way. But it has this inner delight, verse 6, with the truth to one another. It'll bear under, it'll believe all things, it will hope all things, it will endure all things. And folks, this more excellent way, this cruciform love, this sacrificial love, the love that Jesus expressed on the cross never fails. He didn't fail, did He? He won. Folks, we have to speak that way. And so we're to use our gifts for the edification one to another. And that's what chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is all about. Time after time after time again, he says, build up one another. Folks, truthing in love, as we go back to Ephesians 4, is our ministry one to another. Folks, every one of us should have the attitude of Robert Murray McShane. You may or may not be aware of this man. He died at a very young age. The Lord greatly used him. You can still find his writings today. His church experienced several, several what he called awakenings or reviving. That's how we would call it today. In fact, one time his church experienced a revival under a visiting pastor while he was away ministering in the Middle East, and they told him about it, and he got on his knees and thanked God for it. He didn't say, "Ah, why couldn't that happen under me? That's a great man. And one day, somebody came to Robert Murray McShane and asked him this question. What is your church's greatest need? Now, if you're familiar with the answer, it kind of ruins it because you've already answered it in your head. Okay. But if you haven't, let me just ask you, what is our church's greatest need? How would you answer that? If somebody came to you and said, any problems in your church? Anything that upsets you? 
You know, what, what's our church's greatest need? Let me tell you what this man said. My church's greatest need is my personal holiness. My personal holiness. Isn't that what Paul's saying? I'm pressing on to maturity. That's the church's greatest need. The church's greatest need isn't changing music, doing all these types of things, getting better digital bulletins. All that's superficial. It's this heartbeat, this pulse that has to be underlying it that each member, including the man in the pulpit, has to be saying to himself, this is my greatest aim. My personal holiness. What I mean by that? My conformity to the head of this church, Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by that. And folks, in case you don't know, that is our church's greatest need. My personal holiness. Your personal holiness. Every member, no one accepted. Every believer from a child to an adult, regardless of economic level, regardless of educational understanding, regardless of whatever, all these other things we say we can't do it. That is our our church's greatest need. Would you agree with that? Paul agrees with that. Truthing in love... And folks, that truthing in love has an aim. Look at verse 15 of Ephesians 4. The aim is that we grow up in all things into Him. We grow up in all things. No area of your life exempted. None. Not even in what you eat and what you drink, the manner in which you do that. Whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. The places we go, how we dress, how we speak, how we do these things, it's part of the all aspects. Now, we don't have an explicit verse on everything, but folks, when you get the framework of His cruciform love inside of you, it's amazing how much simpler decisions are. There's no area that is exempt, including music, worship, time to gather, your attitude, how we speak to one another, how we interact with one another. Nothing exempt. Every aspect of you, heart, soul, body, is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And folks, when you, when you see that, it's almost like you just want to sit down and say, I'll never... <laughs> You mean I got to be fully persuaded like Christ was fully persuaded to serve the Father? The answer is what? Yes. yes. 
It means that I need to yield my body a living sacrifice. The answer to that is yes. But it also means, and this is what's frightening for me, that every emotion that I have needs to be conformed to his emotion. How am I going to do that? Truth does that. As you're changed in your inner man, those things that are outward begin to be conformed. You start, I hate to use this word, but I'm just going to use it. You, you start having emotions more conformed into his emotions as you see them in the text. Because one day we're going to be completely like who? Amen. Going to be completely like him one day. Now, folks, how does this work out in a local New Testament assembly? Verse 16. You will notice that Paul's going to kind of bring this to discussion to an end. And he begins by saying, from whom the whole body. Well, the body is the church, right? And there are local New Testament expressions of that body. What would a properly ordered New Testament church look like in how it functions. Well, we get a hint when Paul prays for the church, right? He asks that we be illumined. What does this look like? Well, he asks that we are strengthened. How are we strengthened? By truth. How do we mature? By truth. Sanctify them in your word. Your word is what? Truth. Word. These words. We know that Christ is the source of our growth as a church. He says we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who's the head. He's the head, the whole impulses of the body coming from the head. How does this work? Well, folks, the body of Christ is joined and united by what, look at verse 16, by what every joint supplies. Everybody see that? according to the proper working of each individual part. What every joint supplies. Some translations have the word ligament there. What is the every joint supplying? I think, and I wouldn't die for this, but I think the joints that are making supply are the ones who are equipping the saints. Who are those? These men as gifts to a local New Testament assembly. Folks, are they preparing us? Isn't that their aim? They're preparing us to do the work of service, the work of ministry, the work of ministering one to another. So we're joined and united 
if I'm right, by what every one of these gifted men who are supplying truth supplies to that church. And they are to supply that truth according to their maturity. And there are different, differing men with differing maturities. But folks, it's not just every joint supplying, it's also, verse 16, the proper working of each individual what? Part. Folks, if, if the joint or ligament is the gifted men, the men as gifts, who are the each individual part? Us. Us. <laughs> Us. In other words, as the joint supplies, as he equips, as he prepares the saints for the work of service, that's the individual proper working of each part, ministering one to another. And folks, the sad thing about it is, is that a minister... An evangelist, a pastor, teacher, can sow discord. He can build with wood, hay, and stubble. Right? Yes. Or he can build with precious stones. Folks, that lays a responsibility on me. Our church only has one pastor, teacher. I cover the whole gamut. I can be the senior pastor, same one. I can be the teaching pastor, same one. Okay, everything's right here. It lays a responsibility on me that I do the best that I can do to say exactly what it's saying, that I am truthing to you in this. Because that's what I'm supplying you. That's what you're setting me apart to do, aren't you? You're getting up in the morning and having devotions, but not like me. I mean, I have the liberty to spend hours if I want to. I have the full liberty. I have been set apart by you, given, as it were, a salary to do this so that I will truth to you. Pulpit truthing in love has to happen. But folks, also each member truthing in love has to happen. And you know what happens when that happens? You have unity. You have unity. And you're maintaining the unity. This is the unity that God desires. This is the unity that's part of the mystery of His will being fulfilled in this local New Testament assembly. Each believer has to serve one another according to its proper working. Now folks, that doesn't mean that you say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm immature. 
And I, I'm really immature. I mean, Pastor, you don't understand how immature I am. <laughs> I am so immature that I don't have to do this because I'm immature. No, 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 no. You are to truth, be truthing in love according to whatever your maturity is. No one, no one, I don't care if you are a believer and you are eight years old, you have a responsibility to be truthing. Or if you are 120, if you are mosaic, <laughs> you must be truthing in love one to another all the way to your deathbed. I want my whole life not to be a false witness. I want my life to be a true witness for Him. In how I think, in how I interact with the saints, in how I interact with lost people. And folks, it all begins with having the common aim to be pleasing to Christ, to be striving for this maturity. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Colossae. Now, I'm going to read it to you. I don't want you to read it first of all. I don't want you to hear it first of all as if he's speaking to you individually. I want you to hear it first of all as him speaking to a local New Testament church. Can we do that? Okay, listen to what he says. Church at Colossae. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within the church with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever the church is to do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Did you hear that? The whole church is to be immersed in the Word of Christ. Richly dwelling in our church. And what is true for our church has to be true for each member of our body. And folks, when this occurs, go back to Ephesians 4 if you're not there, verse 16. Here's what happens when, when the pulpit and the congregation are united in this. If it's just the pulpit, it's not going to work. If it's just the congregation, not going to work. When the pulpit and the congregation are one, here's what happens. Verse 16. It causes, do you see the word cause? It causes the growth of the what? What do you mean, Paul? The growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And what are we being built up? To maturity. What is produced is the growth of the body. It is the maturing of the body. And it is 
occurring in cruciform love. That's the sphere in which it's occurring. Our truthing to one another in love. Our walking in love one to another. And brethren, what I love about this is that it is exactly what our Lord said would happen. I want you to turn to John chapter 17, our last passage this morning. And I, I just want to read it to you with just a word of emphasis. When I say John 17, you know what? You know this is our high priest, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays for His disciples, and He prays for those who believe through their Word. Now go to the end of that chapter. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 25 as He closes His prayer. O righteous Father, although the world has not known You, Okay, so does the world know God? No. no. Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. All right, does Jesus know God? Yes. yes. And he knows him in his whole fullness. I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Everybody see that? How did they know that? Jesus said earlier in this prayer. I gave them the words that you gave me. Everybody following me? Okay. Nobody knows the Father. The world doesn't know that. But there is one man who did know that. That's the man Christ Jesus. And his followers know, know God because Christ has shared that with them. He says at verse 26. And I have made known your name. I have made your name known to them. Everybody see that? So folks, did those men come to know that God had sent him? Yes. Now look at what he says. And will make it known. Folks, are there at that moment were there future things that Jesus was going to tell those men? Yes, we have those things in our Bible. So they have known things about God the Father. They have known that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus is going to make known to them things in the future. Why? Why? Why is He doing this? Why is He making known God through words to those men so that everybody see the word so that I love those words so that the love with which you love me the love by which God the Father loved God the Son was that infinite love was that a full expression of who he was Yes, so the love with which you love me, I'm sharing with them all the words about God. So that the love with which you have loved me may be in who? Them. Everybody see that? 
and I in them. Folks, how do you increase your love? Truth. Truth proclaimed, truth believed, increases your love. What does that love look like? It looks like God's love. How do you get a church to be more loving? I know how it is. I go to you and say, be loving, be loving, be loving, be loving. Did you hear me? Do it. No, that's not how you do it. You give them truth. You give them the words. I truth to you in love. And what happens is, is that your love increases. And your truthing to one another increases. So that this is fulfilled. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, did you hear that? By this, the love of God being seen. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. That's a great thing. It really should never be said that you walk into a church and walk out, and this can be totally subjective, but you walk out and say, that church is unloving. No, they should be bowled over with the love of Christ. Bowled over by it. Folks, a church that is striving to maturity attracts Disciples. My sheep hear my voice. Did He not say that? Did He not say, sanctify them in your truth? Your word is truth. Did He not say that? A church striving for maturity attracts disciples. And if an unbeliever comes in those services, two things will happen they will be convicted and they will humble themselves declaring that God is certainly in this place. Doesn't mean they'll accept Christ, but it means that they will feel the conviction. They will know the love of Christ and it will convict them. And they will fall on their face and worship God, declaring God is certainly among you. That's what you want. That's what you want. So are you building up one another in cruciform love? Are you truthing to one another? It's not a 
yes, no, like a light switch. It's like, okay, are you truthing one to another according to your maturity today? November 13, 2022. And will you be truthing in love with greater maturity a year from now until the day you see Christ? Let's go to our Lord in prayer.